And welcome into Poke the Bear episode 185, presented by our good friends over at FanDuel and Factor Meals. That's Connor Ryan. I'm Evan Marinovsky. Connor, what is up? Evan, I'm doing well. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm, Connor, I got to be honest, I'm feeling pretty intimidating. Because uh, for those who listen via audio, you're not really going to get what I'm saying here. But for those who watch on YouTube or Twitter... Uh, or watch just the videos. Uh, there's a new background. Look at that. Subscribe in big letters. You freaking bet. Like it's I'm like Tommy DeVito's age. Like you better fucking subscribe. <laughs> you know, like you gotta, yeah, from, you know, from you gotta, Salem, Mass. Too, by the way. Shout out, which, shout out Salem. Which is incredible. I saw Phil Stacy, uh, editor of the Salem News, tweeted that out. I was like, oh my god, I didn't know he was from Salem, Mass. So, uh, but yeah, we have a new background. Let us know what you think of it. I like it. it there's a lot going on, but. Uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's good. It's I good like to it switch, so far. It's good, to, it's good to switch things up, Evan, right? It is. It is. We've switched up things a lot in the last couple months. So, uh, why the hell not keep switching things up? Um, but yeah, the Tommy DeVito thing is, is hilarious. I, I'm getting a kick out of that. That's, uh, you know, I gotta admit, uh, when I, it's, I, I rare, I don't watch a ton of football when the Patriots aren't playing, but on Monday night I was watching the, uh, the Titans, I was watching both games, I was going back and forth, and then once the Dolphins kind of, you know, opened it up, you know, I think it was like 27-13 in the, in the uh, fourth, I was like, eh, screw it, I'm not watching the rest of this game, and then I get the push notification like an, you know, an hour later, I'm like, they came back? So, joke's on me, I didn't, I didn't stick around long enough. Uh, but anyways, it's a hockey podcast, who gives a shit about <laughs> football? Um, speaking of things that are going to be changing up. Uh, we talked about this a little bit on Bruins Beat, uh, but it is true. Pavel Saka will be out for Wednesday's game against New Jersey. Jesper Boquist has been recalled. Uh, Charlie McAvoy will also be out. That's the second straight game that he will be uh, watching from the ninth floor, um, upper body. But again, the Bruins say it's not a head injury, so I guess take them at their word for it. I hope it's not a head injury. Um, yeah. This is a big, those are two big losses, though, especially in kind of a big game like this against New Jersey on Wednesday night. Yeah, absolutely. And even though New Jersey, I think right now, is on the outside looking in at a uh, playoff spot, they've kind of had injuries. They've, uh, the defense has been pretty uh, so, so, so far this year. But I think you look at their rush uh, offense, it's still very, very deadly. They can do a lot of damage there. And I think it's something where, uh, you look at the Bruins and their defense and where their shortcomings have been. It's been on defending the rush and stopping odd man rushes and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, without McAvoy out there, that's a huge loss. You're going to test guys like Ian Mitchell, Mason Lorai, and see how they hold up. But then uh, up front, uh, Pablo Zaka has been a guy that not only has he been really solid offensively on pace of 60 points, he's one of your most trusted PK guys out there as well. So this is going to be a game where I think you're going to see a lot of uh, – Morgan Geeky step up, played over 17 minutes in the last game against Arizona, and he'd probably be in line for more reps uh, moving forward. Yeah, it's interesting. This is one of those games, the way it's shaping out, right? You're missing your best defenseman. You're missing your um, highest offensive ceiling center who kills penalties as well in Pavel Zaka. You know, we talked a lot this year in talking about the younger players about how uh, the biggest thing with this team is winning. You want to win. That's their goal. It's crazy, Connor. You do want to win hockey games, and it, it, it can be important. Um, as my neighbors, like, fall all over themselves in the stairwell. I don't know if you can hear them. They're just freaking <laughs> making tons of noise. Um, I, I thought uh, I thought you are going to have the Kool-Aid man run through the, through the wall. <laughs> yeah. Like a nice jump I, scare for us. I would have rather that. Um, 
at least he, I mean, I think the Kool-Aid man could give out some fiery Bruins takes. So I would be all for the Kool-Aid man jumping in. Um, but you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't pay for the damage though. He'd be like, call no. your insurance. And then he would like just <laughs> jump out the window. Then Barry Feinstein would pop out of the ground like, yes. I think you need to call me, you know? So it would be yes. uh, just a, a perfect uh, medley of like the Avengers. Yes. <laughs> it would be. It would be. Yeah, uh, Kool-Aid Man, Barry Feinstein, like Lee Stempniak, you know, just everyone Tommy at once. DeVito's agent. Yes, <laughs> everybody at once. It would be a, just a perfect grouping of people. Um, where was I? Uh, oh, with, uh, with, with the way the Bruins are. I, you know, with your top guys out, I wouldn't mind seeing them play the kids in this game. Not like, you know, again, I'm not saying, you know, don't put Geeky in the top six. I'm not saying, you know, um, you know, if it's a close game at the end, uh, shortening the bench. What I'm saying, though, is like this is, as you mentioned, a chance to see what you got. Like the Devils are a good team. I know the record says otherwise. I know they've struggled this year. That's a good team. Like primetime game. See what low rise got. Right. Like I would I, I want, you know. Geeky is an interesting one because he's still trying to find his footing in this lineup. But I wouldn't mind Patra seeing or seeing Patra in uh, higher elevated minutes. So for me, like I would love for them to approach just this game like that. I know they won't. Um, and again, we'll see how the game goes. Because again, if it, you know if Lorai and Patra and um, those guys are playing well, then then that's the other thing. An interesting thing is Ian Mitchell because Ian Mitchell's kind of physical. And he, he he does like to throw the body around, and he is aggressive. Sometimes I watch his game, and I see a little Connor Clifton in him. And he I'm curious, because we talked about this on Bruins Beat, about the, the defense being more physical, uh, needing to make life more difficult on opponents. He has that DNA a little bit. And I'm curious if he finds some sort of role on this team that's higher than the seventh defenseman. Yeah. Yeah, he's a really interesting case. He had a really good game, actually, against Arizona. I think he was on the ice for four five-on-five goals for the Bruins. Um, really steady there. We kind of know what his strengths are, but, again, what's his role? Is he a 70? Can he you know, possibly jump up in the lineup? And is he fighting for maybe the minutes that a guy like Shattenkirk has or Forbert or what have you? So, yeah, it's, as much as it's not ideal that you don't have both Charlie McAvoy and Derek Forbert out there, especially against – a pretty high octane offensive team like New Jersey. Um, it's a great opportunity to see not just like the younger guys or geeky in a new role, but a guy like Mitchell and what exactly you have. Cause all you can consider, I think after a pretty slow start, he's been pretty solid whenever you kind of draw him into the lineup. Yeah. I, I, I've been fine with Ian Mitchell. I think it's a, that was an interesting uh, addition in that Taylor Hall trade where it's like, who is this guy? And he ended up, you know, he's ended up uh, working out pretty well. Um, yeah, I agree. I would like to see them use some new players in the, er, not new players, but uh, guys in elevated roles and and things like that. I know, I know, it's a big game, but I just I I wouldn't mind seeing that um, on Wednesday night. Uh, we're gonna get into some statistics. That's the big episode. This is like this is like math heavy, stats heavy. This is I'm transporting everybody back to AP stats in high school. This is what this is what this show is gonna be. Um, I was going to say more like Oppenheimer of that, not like AP6. <laughs> Everyone that hears 6 is going to change the, to another podcast. But True. Okay. Oppenheimer. We're going to go full Oppenheimer mode right here. We're going to build a nuke. We're going to build yes. a, a full-blown nuke. Uh, and we are going to drop. We're going to drop the nuclear knowledge on you. That's what this, this is going to be. Yes. Uh, That's how but the first, went as well. It is. That's exactly how it went. They were giving off. I, I think I remember uh, Oppenheimer uh, was giving off uh, like uh, expected goals for. He did. He was big on um, goals saved above expected. That was a big 
That was a big well, one that, he was really for. That's the thing is when they had the security clearance hearings that he was advocating for Corsi as a way to measure puck possession. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. was like, you fucking idiot. It's all about grit, baby. And that's how it, they, they, they cut that part. For, I don't know why Nolan – I know it's a long movie, so I can see why they didn't want to add that this, the hockey semantics into it. But just so you know. And I think movie. I – and Josh, it was a big hockey. I think it might be better than Miracle. And like Josh Peck was was saying, like Fenwick is underrated, and people should be talking about mm-hmm. Fenwick more. That's where I disagreed. I was like, Josh, why don't you go be Josh Nichols with Drake and Josh? This is, maybe this isn't yes. for you, you know. So I don't, exactly. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but anyways, uh, before we get to all the statistics, a quick word from our friends over at Fanduel. Score early this NFL season with Fanduel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use and you can bet on everything from spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. And frankly, that's the best part about FanDuel, that you can bet on anything. You want to bet on how many wins the Patriots are going to have this year? Be my guest. Maybe how many shutouts Jeremy Swayman's going to have this season. Go for it. You can really do it all. So bet now on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in mass. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-trawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Hope is here. Go to gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. Go to gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. So these statistics, these were uh, mined by you. This was all you. I had nothing. I didn't do anything for this. This is completely you. Uh, you're doing a story for the Globe on uh, some stats that define the Bruins and some uh, digging under the surface. You know, like when it snows and you gotta shovel the snow off and get underneath. Um, so I will let you take point on this. I will let you and I will react. Uh, but I, these are your stats. I don't want to read them like that. I came up with these. I mean, I'm gonna tweet all these out like right when we finish recording. Of course, but, of course. But face to face, I'm gonna just let you take it. Yeah, so uh, I guess starting off with one that I think is fairly obvious in terms of looking at uh, the success of this team and why exactly they're 18-5-3, it's the goalies, as expected. And I think when you look at just how uh, impactful they are, I think people look at, you know, the baseline stats, goal, you know, GAA, save percentage, high danger save percentage. But when you look at goals saved above average, I think that's a good way to quantify just how much a, a goalie in particular is bailing out your team. And Swim and Omar combined this year, 14.3 goals saved above average, which when you look at this team and their lack of firepower, their you know lapses defensively, at least early on this year, don't have a, a really large uh, margin for error. And 14.3 goals can go a long way towards impacting an 18-5-3 record into you know something closer to even 500, if that's the case. So, I mean, really – not surprising in terms of how good they are, but really just underscoring how impressive they've been this season. This is why I don't follow the logic of, oh, trade Olmark. Like, <laughs> this is, again, 
you you need these goals saved. You you need like you're not getting as high octane of an offense as you had last season. So you need to rely on your goaltending. So I mean it's it's a pretty high number. 14.3 like I I just I go back to like that just sort of solidifies the argument of do not trade the goalies. We've had this conversation before so I don't want to just go back into it, but like I want to see these two play in the playoffs. Like I, I want to see them try it. If it goes down and it sucks and they're out the first round with it, you at least you tried it. Um, but again, with numbers like that and with how good they've both been, I thought at the beginning of the year, we talked about this, I think on the last poke the bear or one last week, I thought Olmark's um, fall off would be more uh, stark and a little bit more, um, uh, what's the word? Just, you know, bigger. More severe. It hasn't been. Yeah, more severe. Yeah. That's exactly regression. Um, but it hasn't been. And, I, you know, again, I think Swayman's been better, but it hasn't been by much. And they're still both elite. So I think you're you're cooking with gasoline on that one. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also, I think, out of that 14.3, like Swayman's clearly been better. I think he's 10.0, goal saving above average, all marks 4.3. But I think you even look at this recent stretch where Swayman was out where he was sick and all marks kind of got stood up and uh, and helped him kind of steady the, the – the team when you could have had it swimming out for an extended stretch. Like even that Arizona game, that game could have gone haywire in a hurry based on just how I think frantic and effective Arizona's offense has been this year. So just another situation there where uh, Olmark stood out um, when needed. So yeah, goalies have been good, but uh, one stat that has not really been as great defense in front of the Bruins. And I think mm. when you look at the, the state of this team, we knew that the strengths were going to be in net. We knew there's going to be a lot of question marks up front on offense of how they can, can uh, get sustainable, consistent scoring. But even with the defense in front of them and the personnel they have out there that's pretty damn good, uh, hasn't really been the case so far this year. Again, they're third in the league in goals against uh, per game. Pretty good. A lot of that, I think, is a result of Olmark and Swayman. But it Bruins is. Right now, yeah. Bruins right now, 15th in the league in five-on-five high-danger scoring chances against for 60 minutes. So, again – You've got two goalies that are bailing you out, but it's not like they're also having really kind of quiet nights either. There's a lot of, whether it's odd man rushes, a lot of not protecting the net front, the defense in front of them really hasn't made things easier for them uh, along the way, which is amplifying how good they've been, but also showing there's a lot more room for improvement there, the guys in front of them in the D zone. Yeah, the Bruins aren't Quinnipiac. You know, the Quinnipiac, the goalies get like 14 shots a game, and it's like, oh, this guy's got like a .72 goals against average. It's like, well, it's because he's got like no shots on him, and it's good defense. I agree, and that's and that's one of those things a lot of people are like, oh, the eye test is more important than, uh, than, than statistics and this and that. And it's like, well, the perfect move is you have both. This is one where I think it passes both. I think the stats support what people see, and I think what we've seen through the first two and a half months of the season is – there have been many games where Swayman and Olmark have won them the game and stolen them the game. And it's not necessarily, you know, diving across post to post to make a glove save. It's a guy in front of the net with a clear, clear grade A chance. Like, and we've seen a lot more of those than in past years. And I'm curious if it's more so, again, the personnel hasn't changed much. Is it, you know, uh, something with the coaching? Because again, you have, you know, you have, um, it's uh, Chris, Chris Kelly's in charge of the D, correct? Or is it Sacco? I'm blanking. Uh, I believe it's Kelly. Yes. So instead of having Gruden there, you have Kelly. Uh, or is it something to do with no Bergeron, no Krejci? Is that what it is? I mean, again, like, Coyle's been a good, solid defensive center. Zaka's responsible in his own zone. 
So I'm curious what it is, if it's a lack of just, you know, just toughness in front of the net. We've talked about this quite a bit. But, I mean, again, that's not an encouraging number. That's pretty discouraging to see because, uh, again, you're middle of the pack in terms of that. I mean, again, it goes back to, like, if the goaltending ever regresses even a little bit, I think this team falls from one to, you know, three in the Atlantic potentially. So, yeah, yeah. not great. Not great. Not, not great. Uh, we will look at one positive, and it's a guy that I think we all expected was going to be really good, David Pasternak, on pace for 50 goals. Um but I think kind of what we've talked about, what makes him such an elite player offensively, is that he's not just a one-trick pony. It's not He's not generating all of his chances off of just relying on the one-timer on the power play. Um, he's passing the puck a lot more this year. He's on pace for 72 assists, 123 points, both which would be career highs. But I even think you look at his offensive generation. It's He's really diversifying how he's kind of generating his chances now. And out of his 16 goals, 14 have actually been wrist shots. They're not like a lot of relying on the one-timer or the slap shot. It's only really been one uh, one goal he's had. He was against Buffalo on the road back in uh, mid-November where it was like a one-timer from the left circle. The rest have been like wrist shots of him kind of getting closer to the net um, and beating goalies that way. So, again, not a surprise that uh, Pasternak's still stuffing the stat sheet. But I think when you look at how he's doing it, um, it shows you a, a guy that's so gifted offensively that he can kind of based on the situation, based on the season, can kind of augment how he's generating those chances. Um, just further validates that he's a really special player out there. I mean, his shot is just ridiculous. Like, I, I that's where I go back to, like, you know, he doesn't need a lot of space. He, you know, it's not just Ovet. You know, again, Ovet can score a lot of different kinds of goals, but he always gets kind of, um, you know, made fun of for just kind of standing there on the power play. Poshnok's not that. Even saw against Arizona. I mean, you know, they get him moving around so much on that power play and, so, yeah, I mean, again, it doesn't surprise me, but what does is sort of the the setting up this year. That's one thing that I think has risen and he's been a lot better at this year than than maybe in past years. So, yeah, that's a good yeah, one because I, I see the rest of these, some of these other stats. Not so great. Not so great. Yeah, but before we get you know, to the stats, before we yes. get to the stats, something that is great, something that's real great, something that's quick and great is our friends over at Factor Meals. So, uh, continue on. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but Factor Meals, I mean, you know, got to have them. It's, so it, it's, you have to. Have absolutely. To. I mean, no, I, 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 un- I understand, Evan. Uh, but, yeah, going back to the negativity, I guess, uh, we talked about this on uh, Bruins Beat about the Bruins' lack of physicality, uh, you know, not delivering a lot of hits. And we kind of mentioned that you can view that as maybe, you know, hits shouldn't be the ultimate barometer in terms of, you know, how effective a team is playing. But I think when you look at offensive zone time, and the one thing the Bruins have been lacking is not adhering to just really straight line, effective forechecking game. When you look at their even strength reps, just 40.7% of their even strength ice time has been in the offensive zone. That's not great. Uh, it's below the 50th percentile of all NHL teams. And I think it kind of signals that, one, Bruins are way too one and done in the offensive zone. Too many you know chances off the rush or not you know just dumping the puck in and, and forcing turnovers and making things uh, – difficult for the opponent. So it kind of reinforces what we talked about uh, earlier this week, Evan. And again, does this team need to be a uh, physical juggernaut where they're just dropping the gloves and beating the shit out of everyone? No, I'm sure some Bruins fans would love that. But I think what you need to have more is that physicality that equates to a stronger four check, you know, on defense, boxing guys out of great A ice, those little things that I think go a really long way, especially once you get to the playoffs. 
it's they're too soft to play uh, against right now, especially in the Ozone. I think it hits at what Montgomery said and kind of where they're trying to head. Like, I just, I, they're just, all these numbers that we're going to get to kind of hit, at the, I, I wonder if it hits at the point of, are they as good as their record is? Because there are a lot of underlying issues with this team that I do wonder, like, and this is a bigger picture conversation we can have, we'll probably have a hundred times this year of like, are they really number one in the NHL? Number two in the NHL? It doesn't feel like it. I don't know. Like last, again, we're coming off last year where it was, you know, just a stacked lineup and they were just so ahead of everybody. So maybe it's the, the fatigue of that. But like, I look at some of these stats and some of the ones that are coming up where it's like, and, but maybe on the other side of it, it's like, oh, well, they're this good and they're having these issues. Maybe once they patch these things up, they're coming, you know, the, the issues are coming now. Uh, it it helps. It's going to help down the stretch. Maybe it could be that too. So both sides of the coin. That's what we do here. Yes. Both sides of the coin. Um, absolutely. Very fair take there, Evan. Um, and another one that is kind of, we've talked about before that I think a lot of Bruins fans are very cognizant of, uh, struggles with uh, dealing with empty net situations. Uh, the Bruins season... Ended last year because of a six on five goal uh, by Brendan Montour, and it's carried over this year. Uh, 34 41 of ice time against an empty net this season. Bruins have given up seven goals. It's not great. Tops no. in the league. And again, uh. I, I, think you, I think you can look at quite a few things that if you don't fit, you know, you can roll the punches now. You have like the tough game against Anaheim, tough game against Tampa where you lose those games. Um, Bruins bounce back and beat Toronto after letting up a, a last minute goal, but. Those are the situations that uh, if you want to go deep in the playoffs and win a cup, there's going to be five, six, seven, eight, nine games like that where a team's got an empty net and you got to clear the puck and put out a lot of fires in the last minute. Um, and you want to fix those now in November and December before they really bite you in the ass in April and May. So definitely something worth keeping tabs on. Yeah, I think it also goes back to just being a little too easy to play against. Like, you got a little harder in the defensive zone. I think it kind of comes back to that. We've seen it. I mean, God, Tampa, Toronto, like, those are teams that you could face in the playoffs. Um, and again, it's not, maybe it's not the worst thing. These problems are coming up now. We've talked about this. Like, you know, learn how to deal with the, you know, adversity as it comes to you, whereas they didn't really have that last year. But I mean, just, just watching it. I mean, that stat doesn't surprise me. It does not surprise me they're number one in the league in empty net go- and, and goals against uh, when the other team has an empty net. Yes, without a doubt. Um, and then looking at the forwards, uh, one thing that has stuck out to me is uh, whether it be injuries, the amount of turnover up front, the fact that you got so many younger guys in the lineup. Uh, Jim Montgomery has put his forward group in a blender for most of this year. Uh, so far, you got 14 different line combinations that have logged at least 20 minutes of five and five ice time. So it's not like it's like a one game or it's, you know, just a, a bunch of mixed lines that, you know, end up having five, six minutes of ice time together, just the way that the charts kind of map out there. Uh, that's a lot of mixing and matching. And what I've kind of noticed about all those is that the one line that's always stood out as being consistently good is JVR Frederick Coyle. I was going to say, I was going to guess that's the one. Yeah, that's the one that's really stood out. We're like, all right, keep that together. The rest is still like, oh, we'll see. Uh, Yeah, they haven't found anything yet outside of that line that really has uh, stuck. I mean, again, like, you know, they they looked like they might have had something with Lauko, Beecher, and Lucic. Obviously, that ship has sailed. Um, But up, you know, in the top six... 
does who does Patra fit with? You know, who does Zaka best fit with? Jake DeBrusque, we've yet to see him get activated. You know, like they're trying different things. You could also make the you know the case that gotta keep lines together longer to develop chemistry. You know, chemistry doesn't just happen overnight. I feel like a lot of times, you know, a line gets put together, they have a great, you know, first game, everybody's like, oh, they're terrific. And then you watch for the next couple games and it's like, oh, they clearly don't fit, but they had such a hot start that that narrative gets out there. Um, whereas, you know, vice versa, I think there are combos that could maybe work that haven't been together. So, I mean, that is sort of a product of the beginning of a season, especially for a team that lost its top two centers and key wings from last year in Hall and Bertuzzi. But, I mean, at some point, it does have to die down. At some point, you do kind of have to find the trios that I think are going to work best. Yes. And, of course, I, again, it's more interrelated than anything, but uh, Coyle, JVR, and Frederick are all going to be split up on uh, on Wednesday against New Jersey. But, oh, last year, the punch is there. Hey, at um, least hey, at least the Bruins aren't moving to Virginia. So at least there's that. Did that, you see that? That is tr- I I did see that. Yeah, my uh my folks actually live in in DC, right uh right by Capitol Hill, so it's always clutch that you can just like take a quick 5-minute Uber to get over to the uh Verizon Center or whatever the hell it's called. Uh not going to be as fun going up Northern Virginia for that. So I'll no. see how long it takes them to build that uh build that stadium. Maybe they'll the- uh drive their feet a little bit there. The Virginia Capitals. I was shy. I was like, oh my god, I don't know what's going on down there. I don't. I'm not tuned in. This isn't Capitals beat. Uh, but I, I was surprised. I was like, wow, Virginia. Oh my god. But no, who knows? We'll see. I mean, hey, the Giants and the Jets play in New Jersey, so you know, we'll see. I've I've never been down yeah. there. You could attest to it better than I can. So it's a great city. It's great visiting. Uh, I always love that. It's a very easy. I like any uh, stadium, especially that's right in downtown, easy to get around. You don't have to like. Uh, when the game was over, you have to plan out how you're getting like back to wherever your your home base is. Like when you go to like an Islanders game, you're like, I I I'm stuck here. Like, you either have to like, grab the last bus out or Ottawa, yeah, which is in the middle of nowhere. Like, did you when see it's, like did, right? Did you see the Ottawa thing? I, I think it was on Twitter. Someone said like, uh, if if every team was the distance it uh, Ottawa is from its state capital, the Senators were from their Ottawa state capital. It had the Bruins, I think, in like. Like the sound by the South Shore, like they had him so Dude, far be, from Boston. You'd be at fucking Sturbridge Village. You can go to a bees <laughs> game and churn butter at Sturbridge Village afterwards, or go to the King Richard's that. Fair. You know, in the fall, that'd be yes. great. That'd be a hell of a way That's to open the point. season. Yeah, King Richard's Fair on a Saturday, and then go to the Bruins after. I mean, with like a turkey leg. You know, Ooh. fucking that's the dream. Joust with the boys, smashing oh. beers later. It's great. Oh, incredible, incredible. Uh, uh, but no, going back to our parade of misery, Evan, as we continue to, I feel like we, we've had a few comments saying we've been overly uh, positive. We're just like slamming down like this team. This team's got some issues. So yeah, there's uh, issues on, touching all of them. Uh, one that has stood out to me is, you know, I think you look at five on five play defensively. Uh, guys like Brennan Carlo and Derek Forbert have been really, really strong out of the gate. Uh, one pair that has not been that I think Bruins fans for years have has seen them been very productive, especially in the regular season. Uh, Charlie McAvoy and Matt like usually you know what you're getting out of those two guys together, play off each other really well. This year, 144 minutes of five and five ice time together. Bruins have been outscored 5-3 with them out there on the ice. And when you look at the last uh, three seasons, the Bruins have outscored teams 86-32 to when they've been out on the ice together for 1,362 minutes together. So a pretty hefty sample size, I would say, Evan. So uh, I don't know what exactly it's been the case this year, but uh, a lot to be de- uh, to be desired in terms of those two playing together for a group that 
for years, the Bruins have relied on as being a really steady, effective two-way kind of pairing out there. It, it's interesting. I do wonder, because the Bruins want their uh, defense to activate more and be more aggressive. We've seen that with Montgomery and, you know, more offensive generation. I do wonder if there's a little, t- like, something that changed uh, with those two and how they play together. Because in past years, those two would, you know, go out there when the Bruins were down a goal and, you know, they would typically, you know, spend a lot of time in the Ozone. And again, yeah, go sicko mode. Exactly. Go BU Terrier mode, I guess. Um, Although you're number two to BC this week, but you're right there. You're you're right there. You're right there on on the doorstep. Um, But I I am curious with this. uh, There's a lot of things. I mean, again, McAvoy's physical play, I think, has deteriorated after the the hit to Ekman Larson. We've talked about that. Uh, Grizzlick, I don't think, has looked as good as he has in past years this year. I know there's a lot of pressure on him, a lot of the trade rumors, speculation, all that stuff swirling around him. Uh, But I think it's sort of, again, I mentioned it, you know, coaching, if that's changed, you know, the pressure around Grizzlick and just McAvoy's lack of physicality. I wonder if that's kind of the reason that that pairing really hasn't taken off. Because, um, again, I mean, I, they wanted Lowry up there. I mean, I, they tried it, and it just didn't really pan out. Also, Grizzlick returned from injury, too. So I think that's another thing right. to keep in mind. So I don't think it's quite yet to – I don't think, you know, you should be screaming for Grizzlick to be traded. But it is something to monitor because that's been a pretty – I mean, 86 to 32 uh, yeah. in the last three absurd. years. Yeah. That's incredible. So um, maybe they're falling back to earth, but I, I like that D pairing. I would like it to uh, to them to find it, to find their game in these next couple months. Absolutely. And Evan, we'll end on a positive note. Uh, I think when you look at uh, the Bruins in their off season and how much limited cap space they've had, other than considering I think they've hit on quite a few guys, um, especially I think you look at James Van Riemsdyk and Dan Heinen. And cap friendly actually has a really helpful thing that calculates point uh, cost per point and which guys have the best value out there. JVR, sixth best value in the league in terms of cost per point at 62500 per point. Seems like a lot of money. That's, that's he deserves a raise. <laughs> yes. But uh, I think when you look at what he's brought for his contract at one year, one million, and look at Heinen, who, as of our recording, we'll see what Toronto does tonight. But Heinen right now has uh, the same amount of points as Tyler Bertuzzi in uh, – uh, no, he has more five-on-five five points than Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, nine to seven, and he's yep. making uh, $4.725 million less on his deal. So pretty good value for the Bruins when you look at just how uh, up against the cap they were. They're making the most with what they had and what they were able to sign this offseason. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a lot in the offseason. They kind of have to be the Moneyball Bruins. They were that once the Bertuzzi stuff, uh, once that stuff sort of fell away. If only Bertuzzi had uh, DeVito's agent. I think it would have been a much different uh, offseason for Tyler Bertuzzi. But, I mean, again, it, once that was done, you had to make these value signings. Remember all the, the like, oh, Van Riemsdyk and Kiki, what is what is this? It's like, well, they don't have any cap space. And what do you, want, you, what do you want them to do? What, do you, what would you like them to do? Um, and, again, they went out, they made smart signings. I mean, Shattenkirk has had his moments of, you know, of good and bad, but overall he's been fairly solid, like – They've you they've done what you want them to do. Do you remember who was number one in the value signings by any chance, or like who was up uh, there that was notable? Uh, I'd have to look at it again. I feel like it's a few guys on Arizona. This is just standard contracts too. If you included like entry level, of course, guys like Bedard or you know Mason. Yeah. I think Mason McTavish is first. So um, I think there's a few like just like cast off guys on Arizona that are pretty high up there. I actually think Brendan Hagel, who's I think 
over a point per game. He's up there, even though he just signed an extension. But I actually don't think that kicks in until next year. So yeah, makes his contract look even better. But been a bit a bit of a mix there in terms of some guys that are getting paid more than like a million, million and a half, but their production is really spiked. But um, it's pretty good company to be in anyway if you're JBR. Yeah, I mean, again, he's it's he's worked, he's fit, and I think that was one of our biggest questions in the off season was like. What does he still have left? And it's clear that he's a fit and he works and he's found a home uh, on with Coyle and Frederick. So I think that that's a good thing. So we'll end on a good note. Uh, so this is a story with the Glo- with uh, the Boston Globe, correct? This will, will this be in tomorrow's yeah. paper or I assume? Uh, yes, barring the the Red Sox signing uh, like Placido Polanco, forty nine <laughs> years old, to a to a tryout contract. Raul Ibanez, the next DH yes. for the Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. It could be something like that maybe. But um, yes, at the very least, it will definitely be on the Globe website. So you can read that there along with all my other hockey uh, musings, whether it's game recaps, features, columns, breakdowns, all that good stuff can be over there uh, at the Boston Globe website and boston.com. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at Ryan underscore 93. Nothing gets the lads going quite like naming random 2000s baseball players. Like yes. I could sit in a, I could sit in a room with a bunch of guys and just do that. And girls obviously do that forever. I mean, I like could, just could never stop. There's so many names and it's free. It just gets the guys going, you know, and that's that. Shout out. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Scott Pesednik. <laughs> exactly. Coco Crisp, my man. Um, anyways, that's Connor Ryan. I'm Evan Marinovsky. You poke the bear listeners and we're sponsored by FanDuel and Factor Meals. You poke the bear listeners. Have a great rest of your week.